Hello dear listener, welcome, this is the Curator Podcast, and this is episode one. The important thing for me is that when folk come see us live, that they walk away from it being like, you know, what the fuck, we just watch. Hi, hello, welcome. Thanks for listening. This is the Curator Podcast, and I am your host, Mark Fraser. On this episode, I have Connor Anderson from the Glaswegian post-rock instrumental band Dialects. I caught up with him recently as the band played Glasgow on their UK tour. We sat in the back of their tour van and we just basically shot the shit for like half an hour. And we spoke a little bit about Connor's inspiration where his drive for music came from, you know, just generally talk some stuff about the tour and, you know, what it's like to be in a band. But before we get to that, a little bit about the Curator Podcast. This is a podcast which explores artists' origin stories, so where they got their drive from, how they began, why they began doing what they're doing. And over the coming weeks, I'll be talking to musicians, artists, filmmakers, writers, basically anyone that's involved in any kind of creative arts. We'll get to Connor's interview in a minute. However, before that, I'm going to play a track by the band Dialects, which is from their brand new debut EP. The track is called Restless Earth, and I hope you enjoy it.
Connor. Hello, man. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? I'm alright, man. Yeah, I'm pretty good. How's the tour been so far? It's been pretty good. Um, the Bristol was pretty quiet, but like the the venue was really cool, and the, we had a lot of like fans coming to see us because they're like fans of Mutiny in the Bounty because they played Art Tangent last year. Um, so for the you know for those types of guys to come down and see us, it was pretty interesting because down south, I think there's quite a wide community for the type of music that we do um, and it was good to kind of start becoming a part of that you know with Bristol's links to like Art Tangent and stuff like that yeah. so yeah pretty cool um, Manchester was pretty busy pretty exciting um, we got some great feedback um, a few things broke gear wise but we managed to get through it okay which is uh, lucky um, yeah it went pretty well I think like the, the thing that is interested me the most is getting feedback from people seeing us for the first time, you know, because like, we've been a band now for nearly nearly two years, so feedback from folk that you see quite regularly almost, it's hard to judge because you, they've they've seen you a few times, so getting a fresh perspective when you've practised for quite a while and then going out on tours, a bit different, it gives you a different view to it, which I've always yeah. been quite cool. Well, it sounds like it's been going okay so far. Um, this is my first time doing this. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been interviewed before. Um but I was wondering, uh, just a random question for you. Who would you love to interview but think you'd be really scared about interviewing? Um, fuck. That was a really tough question. I didn't say I was going to go easy on you, man. No, no, totally. It's quite cool. Probably uh, Paddy Considine, the actor um, that's been in like like Shane Meadows movies 
Yeah. Um, my favourite movie of all time is Dead Man's Shoes that mm-hmm. he's in. Um, and I think he like, co-wrote it as well. He's quite, like, the, the, the movies he's done with Shane Meadows, I've, I've always argued, are his best ones. And he's kind of a bit more kind of mainstream kind of, like, light these days. Um, like World's End and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah stuff yeah. like that. But I think um, I would find it quite daunting because, like, I used to act when I was younger. And I looked up to him a lot, mm-hmm. like, because I saw his stuff and I found it really interesting, the types of characters that he portrayed. So I think for me to interview him would be quite weird. I've, I've met him once and I know that I found it nerve-wracking. Yeah. I don't I don't normally struggle with things like that, but when I met him uh, in my work, I was serving him and I found it quite daunting. Uh-huh. And, you know, you, you you don't want to be the fanboy and go, I pure love you guys. <laughs> like, I love your movies and stuff. I love what you do. And then at the same time, and um, he, you have to try and remain quite cool and calm and professional. So. Yeah. I would probably find that quite tough if I was honest because some of the stories that he's told with um, Shane are quite harrowing and quite sad. Yeah. Especially like the ending of, you know, Dead Man's Shoes is like, it's yeah. awful. Like it's really, really sad but it's so powerful that it stays with you. It's not a yeah. movie you forget straight away. So I'd want to know what his thought process was in creating those types of movies and, you know, learn from it. So, I mean, any of the musical that you would maybe find daunting to interview or talk even talk to like if you met any of your any of your heroes anybody that you think is like I met one but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name him okay because uh, I think that everyone already who knows me already knows who it is but uh, yeah but everybody that's listening just now doesn't know who you are uh, you know? Uh, well, know who you are but don't know you well so. I'll name I'll name another one I'll name the guy that first blew me away in guitar okay I'll name my kind of main inspiration today but the guy that first made me want to like Play the type of stuff that I do now is probably Thomas Eric from yeah. The Fall of Troy. Um, that would be frightening because mm-hmm. that guy is like the story about how you know he used to play drums and then just decided he was going to learn how to play guitar. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's not like he learned how to play it; he like mastered it, which yeah. I think is scary in such a short space of time. And for the type of career that The Fall of Troy had, you know, like being so young and being signed to the labels they were touring with Deftones and stuff like that. Um, but playing quite, you know, obscure, mathy, kind of post-hardcore type music, you know, I wouldn't have said for everyone it was extremely accessible because it crossed a lot of kind of uh, genre boundaries. So I think to interview someone like that would be, especially with like the life experience that he's had in such a short space of time, yeah. um, I think that would be quite frightening. That would be really daunting. Well, that's kind of interesting you brought up like him being an influence because my next question was going to be, where did it all start for you? Like, where, where did... Where did Conor Anderson, musician, where did that begin? Um, so I used to like, I was terrible for music when I was younger. Um, I didn't listen to a lot. The actual first time that someone, in, in, like, I think that your music taste is defined by the first person that invests in you to like show you something and then that dictates your taste, I think. That's, That's what I found. Um, I was listening to really shit dance music that was being produced by one of my mates in my like my high school and it was you know it was generic rubbish it was terrible um but at the time it was cool to be listening to that and I, basically my dad came in and uh, he clocked me listening to it and was like you know what the hell are you listening to and then i've told loads of folk this story but he like climbed up into the into the loft and brought down like two cool bags full of music um and just sat them down in front of me and said right crack on with that and see how you got on and the first one, and this is why I think it kind of dictated my taste, was the first one was a, that I lifted out was uh, 
young team by Mogwai. Yeah. That was the very first. Like, so dad disc. actually owned that record. Yeah, like, he owned that. And, that's pretty cool. Dad. Yeah, yeah, he's brilliant, man. His taste in music's very similar to mine. Yeah. And that was the first thing that I put on. And because obviously you've you know when you're younger you've watched Top of the Pops and stuff like that you've seen rock bands you've seen pop bands, and then you hear something with no lyrics for the first time and it's like, you know how how does that work? You, yeah. I think for most people when you talk to them about being an instrumental band they always go you know, why why do you not have a singer? Could you not find one? You know we've we've got a guy in our band Steve, who's an extremely talented singer, but you know we only put vocals in when we feel it needs to be there and. Mogwai are the same. That was the first time I'd ever heard anything like that, and then it kind of rolled on from there. I listened to the Smashing Pumpkins after that, uh, Jeff Buckley, anything that Bob Mould's been involved in, um, an old band that not a lot of people might have heard of called Ark Welder. Um, My Bloody Valentine yeah. was the next, like you know, that album Loveless was like the, like that that blew my mind here on that. Uh, I think it's Only Shallows the opening track. And that like yeah. on that for the first time was like. Oh my god, that's incredible! The sounds that they're creating, and I didn't, I, I couldn't like correlate the, the the difference between like or the link between them, um, pedals and guitar sounds. Like, how do they do that? How do they plug something in and it just completely changes how the guitar sounds? And the first time I saw that, and I played drums back then, was when my mate bought a pedal, a guitar pedal, and I think I started to kind of go on from there. Really, eventually, when I hit eighteen, I just decided that I hated drums. Um, and wanted to play guitar because I kept hearing melodies in my head okay, and I had ideas yeah. but I wasn't you know I didn't have the skills to play them mm -hmm. so I then spent the next like two years learning how to play guitar so it was similar to Thomas Eric in a sense and that's what kind of inspired me to do it just nowhere near as good yeah. <laughs> so um, that's that's kind of blown apart my next question I was going to ask you <laughs> uh, the biggest influence, well, I guess you said one of your biggest influences is My Body Valentine, and you guys have kind of that wall of noise yeah. sound. Is that was that is that when you think about the music you're writing <clears throat> out, how dialects have become the way they are? You say you've been together for two years. Um, is there anything that you guys like kind of decided you wanted to have in, in terms of sound, or was it just like an organic thing? Or is there something you've always had in your head that's like, I want my music to sound like this? That's a good question. I think there's been there's been times where we've been in the practice room and one of us has done a, like, dialed in a sound to a pedal. And then as a result of that, we've went, oh, that sounds like that band. That mm. links in, you know, like, you know, with like an infinite reverb decay and then with the mix quite high and you're like trim picking or something, but like doing like bends and stuff like that, that can kind of like almost like kind of uh, imitate certain My Bloody Valentine sounds but I don't think we went into it thinking like that mm. like I knew there was there's been four albums that were basically my kind of like blueprints for starting dialects and that was um, Doppelganger by The Fall of Troy um, Gangs by And So What's You From Afar um, Sans Souci I believe it's how it's pronounced um, by Brontide and then obviously Young Team by Mogwai. Those were the four albums that I set up as like a blueprint going, if I could get a mixture of something like that combined with your own natural playing, then we would probably get something quite interesting. Because you can't, I don't think any band can go in and say, we want to sound like that band. Mm -hmm. It just sort of happens and everyone yeah. writes their own way, you know. Someone says they sound like one band, but you'll you'll hear something else and go, well, no, if you actually sound like this and they go away and listen to it and they might not get that, but, you know, the listener does. 
So it's quite an open thing then, like obviously the way that music is created within you guys. But that must always have a subconscious thing though, like you've got, I have Mogwai in my head, I have Botroy in my head, I have, you know, all these other bands that I, like, I that are just kind of my well, I guess, of um, creative inspiration. Yeah, like, I think they're, they're, they're always definitely present. Like, but you never actually said, I want to be like this, it's just, it happens no, to be there. I don't think you should do that, like, I think you should try and find your own sound as a band. Like, we, we started out thinking that the songs were going to be, like, when we wrote the first EP, most of the first EP was based on ideas that I had from my previous band. And then we kind of like tidied those up and refined them once the once the band was kind of complete in its lineup. Um, but the new songs we've written, some of them have went off on a completely strange tangent that hasn't really. I I can't put my finger down on a band and go right that kind of sounds like that or whatever. Like it's been quite different. So I think eventually with through experimentation, you know, trying different things, we've we've started to like refine what I would believe to be the kind of sound of dialects which yeah. is quite cool but i think yeah definitely i think every band has a series of bands that they kind of pull inspiration from regularly because they, they you know they those bands they're fans of those bands and they started whatever band they were in for that reason they heard a record that x band done and then decided to go and do a band along those lines but not directly from that um and i think you'll always find that um with every with it like with any band i don't think it's you know relevant to just us
you been on you're on tour uh, is this the first time you've been on tour with a band uh, or have you ever. done it before ever yeah it's the first time for me what's, ever. The, what's the dynamic like in the van eh uh, it's alright it's pretty cool I think um, like I've, I always feel quite privileged that the guys that I'm in a band with are a lot more experienced than I am so you know whenever we're doing something they're kind of guiding me on it and giving me advice on it and feedback about how I'm saying certain things or doing certain things and you know I have to try and keep in check the fact that you know I'm still quite young and I'm really eager and wanting to do loads of things but at the same time you have to have that reality of where you are as a band and what you're doing um, what are you yeah I'm 23, 23. Wow. Um, but yeah the guys the guys in the van we all got on really well I think the one thing I found different to this band is how close we are as friends that sounds ridiculous right I know but I've seen so many bands that don't hang out with each other I find yeah. that bizarre like I find that so strange when you get a band that you know, they're like, oh yeah, we practice. They could practice two or three times a week. They could be the tightest band you've ever seen. They don't talk to each other. I don't think that's, yeah. I don't think you should have that. Like, if you're starting a band and you want to do well in that band, you've got to think about that these are going to be people that you're going to spend a lot of time with. Yeah. You know, so if you don't get on with them, what, what's the point? There has to be point? a healthy dynamic almost. Yeah. It can't be like, I'm only tolerating this person because I like the music they make and I like play, making that music with yeah. them, but... I maybe don't necessarily like them as a person, or I can't, I can't, I don't want to spend too much time around them as a person. Yeah, I think yeah. that, that, I mean, ultimately, that probably what is what ends a lot of bands as well, you know. Like, Seen it so many times. Yeah. Seen it so many times. Like, you, people that don't cultivate relationships with, you know, with, with their band members, I think will definitely suffer it later. There's been, I would say, in the last two or three years, there's been like five bands that I've watched that have been like, they will be humongous, they will be massive bands. Um, one in particular that stood out for so many people, um, but the, the you know the guys just didn't hang out a lot. You mm -hmm. know they just didn't really. I don't think they had anything beyond the band. The music they wrote was incredible. The stuff you know the, the live performances they had were amazing, but because they didn't hang out, you know, it eventually, came, you know, the news came that they'd split up and all the amazing things that they were queued up to do were kind of yeah. were kind of over really. I mean, obviously there's going to be more reasons than that, but you know, I think most of the time you always find that. Certainly with us, like if we have a disagreement, we're quite good at talking it out, which mm -hmm. I think is important. Like, again, that sounds ridiculous because, you know, we're adults, we should be able to do that. But, you know, I think, or I think, to say it properly, I think with them, um, with spending time with your bandmates, it's important to know when you've gone too far and to say that, you know, to you know, for someone to call you on that and be like, I don't really think that was appropriate what you said or, you know, I don't find that comment cool you know i'm not yeah you know i think like you don't want to offend anyone so the dynamic in the van's quite cool johnny sleeps a lot and i sleep a lot so there's not really much to talk about other than the relationship we have when we do talk we've been playing a cool game which i quite like and that's kept us going and um, where we've been basically trying to fit in food names with uh celebrities so like <laughs> that's been quite cool um yeah so if you think of any let us know because we find it hilarious <laughs> Yeah, the things that goes on in the van, I guess it's, it's pretty thinking, boring yeah. for us. This is the thing. Like, there's nothing. I don't I can... think it's interesting for anyone, man. No, like, there's nothing I can really. Not, yeah. There's nothing I can say. Oh, we, you know, we listen to crazy music, or we we do something really, really strange, yeah. or we watch weird, obscure movies. Which... Or we're Motley Crue, basically. It never happens. Yeah, no, it's not a thing nah, that happens. No, nah, <laughs> we just want to chill out and go to sleep, and you know, like not be in the van. I think yeah. not being in the van is the aim of the game, really. But like uh, one of my friends, he always compares being in a band to is he always gets sick of the hurry up and wait 
He's mm. just sitting around doing nothing for a large period of time. I think everybody we talk, <laughs> anybody that's not really been involved in music in any large capacity thinks, oh, it must be really great being in a band because you're just drinking all the time and having fun. It's like, that's no, not you're, like that you're, all. Sitting, you're sitting about doing nothing pretty much nah. all the time. I think like when I, it, being in a band was everything I wanted it to be. So I've always been quite, I've always been quite lucky that I didn't have any illusions of what it was like. I knew that this is, you know, you're, you're going to be skint all the time. You're going to have no money because you're going to be investing in gear all the time. Black um, hole of cash. Yeah, black hole <laughs> of cash. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be waiting around a lot, you know, especially on tour. Most of your time is spent waiting or on the road. There's not a lot of time to do, you know, to go and explore the town that you're playing in or the city you're playing in. Um, so it's never really bothered me that. I've I've become I've learned how to to hibernate, <laughs> which I'm quite quite proud of. So when we get in the van, I can just shut down. Turn it off, yeah. Exactly. I think I I've always found whenever I was in bands, I had a lot of trepidation about the idea of spending so much time with people, just because of that thing that thing you said earlier on. You know, it's like this idea of are we really supposed to hang out? Like, is that a thing we do? But it makes yeah. sense. Like a band should be like a gang. You know, just be a group of really yeah. good friends. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're all the, the, the last thing that we did together was watch a TV series called Fortitude. Don't know if you've seen it yet. Someone's recommended it to me. It's so good, man. You it, should yeah. go and watch it. It's amazing. Like, we've literally, like, we, I think a lot, I've seen a lot of bands where when they're together, all they talk about is the band. We've been quite good at just been going, right, we're not going to, you know, we don't, we don't consciously go, we're not going to talk about it. But you end up in a point where it's like, Fortitude is more important than, <laughs> than writing, than writing instrumental, you know, like, mathy music yeah um and we all watch that tv series we're all big fans of walking dead which i'm behind on game of thrones as well game of thrones is really cool haven't seen it yet we got the so ali got the stream he got the the leak we got all five episodes wow. or four episodes sorry um right at the start and we're like no we'll space them out we'll space them out because that'll take us up to like to tour and we can chill out and we can we can have that as a thing to look forward to and it'll take our minds off the tour Watched all four in one night. <laughs> totally, totally abandoned the idea of like, yeah. you know, um, binge. Yeah, totally, man. <laughs> totally abandoned the idea of like holding off and savoring the, the enjoyment of them. So you watch a lot of television then, or a lot of media like films and TV. Is that thing you do? Because you said earlier on you, you used to act. So yeah, I think mean, that's, that's interesting. Tell us, tell me a little bit more about that. Um, because that's an interesting character facet. I'm, so I never guessed that the acting or the like, how I ended up acting. Both? All of it? All of it, right. From the start. Acting was, I was in a show when I was eight years old in school and then went to Scottish Youth Theatre, which I'll do a bit of plugging for because they're a charity and they're absolutely amazing if you're wanting to learn how to act and stuff like that or develop your skills in theatre or potentially film, go there because it's amazing. Um, Started there when I was eight years old, and it was the only place I felt comfortable in. Like everyone that had seen me in that show was like, "You should go and do acting. You've, you're confident. You're you can you, you know you're very not outspoken, but you talk a lot," <laughs> <laughs> which I think was what everyone tells me. Um, no bad thing. It's no bad thing at all. It depends. <laughs> depends on who you talk to. <laughs> um, done it for ten years. End up like I was. I appeared in a few TV shows and stuff like that, and a few different um, performances like in the theatre. Um, but just certain things happened that kind of led me to leave it really and not do it anymore. Um, I used to write a lot. I used to write a lot of like plays and stuff like that, and that was a big thing for me. Um, I have this image of you being like the guy from Rushmore. You ever seen that film? I've not. No. So this this is, this 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 analogy will not work. <laughs> you should see it. it's a good film. It's about, it's about a guy at a private school who starts writing plays, mm. and it's and Bill Murray is like 
he falls in love with this teacher, and mm. then Bill Murray he makes friends with Bill Murray, who also falls in love with this teacher, and it becomes like an revenge, a revenge story. And it's, a, it's a Wes Anderson film, and it's really funny. You should right, I'll check, check it out. Yeah. I'll check it out. The writing thing, like, was was good fun, and it, like the stuff that we done with what I'd written was was okay. It was quite successful. I think a lot of people find it quite sick. Yeah. Um, but there's no lyrics and dialects. There's no, there's no lyrics yeah. and dialects. I, I like the thing with like for me the dialects has been a challenge of conveying emotions and storytelling without without lyrics. I mean, one track when the EP does have it, but um, I've never found it. There's the other tracks we've done. I've never really needed them. Um, yeah, can't really add much more to that. So you just feel as though it's all about music making the emotion as opposed to the vocals or the lyrics. Yeah, like it's a you, hard thing to do. It's a very difficult thing to do. You'll you'll have tracks yourself that yeah. you listen to that you can re- you'll repeat like thirty seconds of a certain section over mm-hmm. and over again, and every time you play it, it doesn't matter how many times you hear it. It's just something that you go, "Oh my god, how cool is that!" And to everyone, that that thing's always different. Every mm-hmm. track that that you that they, that person has is always different. And to to write music that forces the listener to do that more is a big goal for me. That's what I I think we what what we try and do as a band. Um, other than write music, we really really enjoy. I think the important thing with instrumental music is to f- make folk think about it, uh-huh. and they can always think differently. Like with this EP, there's a concept to it and there's a story. But that doesn't have to be the listener's story. That can be anyone's. Um, they can make up their own and they can talk about what they think of it. Some people find it very summary, you know, and they talk about how it reminds them of certain things, you know, to do with that or like hanging out in like a park in the sun and stuff. And But some of it's quite dark equally and quite sad sounding. So other people have get, had different opinions of it from that perspective. So for an instrumental band and... Like, where did that, that story something you came up with? Is that something that you've kind of had the theme in mind when you've been writing? I mean, when I first arrived today, Steve said to me, well, it's Cornell's band, so he should do the talking. Um, it's not my band. <laughs> I which may or may this. not be true. I keep yeah. saying this. May or may not be true, but uh, you've spoken a lot about the, the EP having a story and you're writing instrumental music, so I'm beginning to think that maybe like a lot of the narrative, I guess, has come from, like, obviously you, so... Where, like, what inspired that? Like, where did that come from? I hate uh, saying inspired, but you know what I mean. Yeah, where did yeah. it come from? Where was the source? I dreamt it. Like, we, as weird as that sounds, and as you know, pretentious as anyone might think that it, it is for me to say that. I well, inspiration comes from everywhere, doesn't it? So a dream is just as valid as everything. Yeah, else, I, think. I get pretty like fucked up one night and basically just fell asleep, and then that was the dream that I had was about you know two folk living in this kind of like utopian type world and. It was incredible and everything was like so futuristic and stuff. And I think it was linked from a Star Trek quote as well, <laughs> where uh, Jean-Luc Picard's walking. Um, it's in the movie. Oh, I can't remember the name of it now. It's going to annoy me. First Contact. Okay. That's it. Um, and he's walking the, the one of the female characters for the, the ship. And she's there. They've like travelled through time. And she's chatting to him about stuff. And she's like, oh, I bet you this cost a lot with, with regards to the ship. And he turns around and goes, oh, well, we don't, we don't operate off of an economy mm-hmm. you know in our world it's everyone just strives to move forward yeah and i think that was kind of like that stuck with me for some reason for ages i kept thinking about that and then I, I can't remember the name of one the guy now but a very famous philosopher did like a talk about the idea of a world without an economy like if you just get rid of it tomorrow mm-hmm. 
what would you do? Like, in some senses, it's obviously a ridiculous idea for now, but the concept of everyone just get you know moving forward and advancing things and improving things, but not operating off the idea of you're restricted by the amount of money that you earn or the amount of money that you can invest in something. Um, I mean, if you look at so many how many diseases there are in the world that say we need funding for X, Y, Z, and if that funding, you know, who's to say that we couldn't have learned how to beat cancer years ago? Yeah, because we didn't have the money, you know. Not everyone, you know, because oh, it's, you know, it's your fault because you didn't sit up and go right. I should pay two pounds a month, you know, over the phone because no one's going to do that. No one's realistically going to, you know, most people are very pessimistic and lazy, in my opinion. And I think that kind of that stuck with me is that there's certain people that want to move forward and improve things and change things, and then at the same time, there's you know, folk that aren't. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think I probably agree with that. Um, it's very idealistic. Yeah, you, I mean, you speak very passionately about it. It can't, so, it can't something... happen. It can't. It cannot happen. I'll never like. Is I... that something you actively think about a lot? Though, like that whole idea, like. No, like I think it was linked in. It's not something that like plays on my mind a lot. Yeah. Like, I think I've I've thought about it a few times and you know ran about with the concept of being like how different would the world be, if you could have you know it's that what if factor. Everybody does it, you know. Mm. If this was if this had happened, then we could have avoided this, and I think. It's ridiculous to think like that because everybody thinks differently and not everybody wants to, you know, work their ass off and try and change things and or even, you know, something as small and as trivial as donate money to charity. Yeah. Even me saying this now, I'm hypocritical because I don't donate money to any charities, you know, and I'm too lazy to pick up the phone and give two pounds of my money a month to a charity and I probably won't. And that's not because I don't want to and it's not because I don't, you know, don't support the cause. It's just because that's just how I think and that's what I do. So I don't think it's a pressing thing in my head. I just it's something that inspired the concept of yeah. the VP of that world that these two characters live in, this couple, and then when they travel through the portal, they end up here, and then they help us change the world to kind of for the better, really, almost like not the same as their world, but they definitely improve it, and then they go back again, and then in the video, spectacular supernovae, the two the two guys we've got in that video, that was them going back. That's them done their bit. Okay, they yeah, basically yeah. They, they basically come over here and they're kids again, but they've kept like the mindset they had in the old world. So they've got this intelligence in their mind, this idea, this this concept of what a world should be, but you know, in the brain of a of a four year old basically. And I I love that idea of like you know this these you know these kids because it is it's kids that shape the future and stuff like that. And you know the investment that you place in children at a certain age affects you as you grow up. And I think a lot of that's tied in with things to do with myself as well and things that I believe in. So I don't play in the ideas of it a lot, but like a lot of it does relate to my own thoughts and theories about mm-hmm. what affected me as an individual growing up. And all without any lyrics, which is quite an achievement. Like to have vocals <laughs> to have vocals emotions through music. I mean, I do it like it just that's hard. Like I said before, that's difficult. Yeah. But you know, if you've been listening to things like Mogwai then it's not necessarily like it's, I think it's just what you it's a currency you now trade in musically yeah. almost. Like we wrote the songs and then attached the song titles to them so we knew that was the story. But whatever song fit that part of the story, that's what soundtracked it basically. So that was kinda how we done it. Um VP was originally going to be in a completely different order. Like and then just for certain discussions and things that we wanted to change, we decided to alter it so ever so slightly. And it was a good move. Originally Let the Kids was the first track on the record. Mm-hmm. But it didn't feel right that, that soundtrack the beginning of the story which is actually quite happy but then they end up here which is the kind of obscurity to it and the but still that kind of like uplifting bit at the end where 
you know, it's not that bad. We can do something with this. This is yeah. an interesting, this is an interesting position that we're in. So we swapped around and put restless at the start because it's more appropriate. That seems like a good point for me to jump in with a bullshit stock question of what's your favourite song to play live? I hate asking these questions, but I felt no, as though it's cool. I, I like them. I felt as though it was a thing I should probably put in there. Favourite song to play live? Weirdly, it's one we haven't released. Oh, well. Which is which sucks, but I can say the name of it, which is okay. The track's called um, When You Die, You're Truly Alone. It is the most chilled out and ambient track we've ever written. Mm-hmm. It's my favourite. I love playing it. It's, it's so chilled out, and it's always like, because the set can be quite frantic and quite manic, it's really interesting to be at the end. You know, to, well, to be in the middle of a set even and to just play that and it kind of just changes the tone of the night completely. Yeah. Which is really cool. So, yeah, probably that. A question which has just occurred to me, which I was going to ask earlier on, but I should probably ask, having been someone that's acted, do you find being comfortable being on stage and, and performing in the band? It seems like it could be quite a logical jump from going Strangely on stage. Strangely not. No? You don't think so, no? Every gig I find terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Um, because when you're acting someone's either written something for you or you've developed something that you're comfortable playing so like improvisational pieces you're the one that made that character therefore if you're not comfortable playing it that's just that that's your problem you need to find whatever it is that affects that some people get natural stage fight i don't think it is that for me i think it's more a concept of i want to make sure that i do the best i can so that folk really enjoy it um and that's where the nerves come in that's yeah i would say that's where the nerves come in um, once you get started, like, it's all about, it's all about just finding your comfort zone. Like, I think that the important thing for me is that when folk come see us live, that they walk away from it being like, you know, what the fuck did we just watch? Mm. And when you get that reaction, you know you've accomplished what you're aiming to do. Because a, you want folk that have never seen in- an instrumental band before to be like, what on earth just happened? Like, there was no lyrics there. It was so fucking loud, and you know they lost their shit, and it was a great show, and we really enjoyed it. And if you, you know, if you, if you don't achieve that, then in my mind, it's a failure. It's a personal failure. And that's what, I think that's what the terrifying factor is, is that every time before I go on, I'm constantly running through that in my head. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's where the nerves bit comes in. I don't think it's about performing, because, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You make a mistake and you laugh it off. Yeah. So, that's it. Oh, thanks very much for talking to me. If you get anything else you want to say, anything yeah. else at all. Buy our EP, please. <laughs> I will oh, plug that. <laughs> yeah, well, if you want to plug it and tell us a bit more about the name of it. The EP that kind of thing. is called, It's well, it's abbreviated LTK, LTL. Uh-huh. The full name is uh, Let the Kids Light These Lanterns. Uh, you can buy it from our Bandcamp, um, which is dialectsuk.bandcamp.com. You can put those links up as well so people can definitely Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, and it will be released on the 11th, or if you catch us on tour, we might cheekily have a wee copy with us for you to buy awesome so yeah that would that would be it um like us on facebook and twitter and instagram if you want more updates cool well that sounds good to me man thank you very much for talking no, to us thank you man thank man. you well that wasn't too bad now was it was it i thought that was pretty good i i know that i found it inspiring i hope you did too thanks to connor for letting me talk to him i really really appreciated that he wasn't short a word or two and that's awesome. I mean, those are the kinds of people you want to be talking to when you're doing podcasts. So yeah, before we finish, I'm going to play one more track. This time it was a, a live recording of the song Spectacular Supernovae. Uh, I took this from their recent show in Glasgow. 
uh, and the band have been nice enough to let me share it with you. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, which is The Curator Podcast. Check us out on Twitter, The Curator Pod. And don't forget, it's really important, it would help me out so much if you did this, to rate it on iTunes, review it on iTunes, and just generally share it with your friends. If you found this useful, you thought it was interesting, inspiring, pass it on to someone else who you think might like it. So yeah, that's all for this episode. And like I said, I'm going to play it out now with a dialect song recorded live called Spectacular Supernovae. Thanks. Until next time.